0: Okay, high time now for our tune of the week. Come on, let's go. This is the Media Industry Guru show. The show that exposes you to entertainment, music, film, TV and tech. Online 24-7 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. Hey everyone, how's it going? Happy once again Tuesday Eve. Hope you're having a great work day study day, or hangout day, whatever you do on that fine Tuesday. Here I'll be chatting with a media and tech professional who is among one of the first employees to work at BuzzFeed and Kiwi in advertising and sales and left to become an entrepreneur and start his own firms, including do Good By Us, Six Degrees with ZR, and his newest venture, Catapult X. Let's welcome Zach Rosenberg. Hey, Thanks, Zach, words. how's it going?
1: I'm, I'm doing really well. I really appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah. Tell us a quick little blurb or basically like an elevator pitch about yourself for those that want to be inquisitive and learn more about you, your background, where you're from.
1: Sure. Uh, grew up on Long Island. And if you can't tell by the accent, I did a good job (laughs) somewhere along the line. Uh, Went to school at Towson University in Maryland. Found myself, as many of us do, in the media and advertising space. Went from a company called Big String, where I interned in college, to WebMD, uh, to Mochilla, to SmartBrief, to BuzzFeed, as you mentioned, one of the first 20 employees there, and uh, the second person, I believe on the ad sales side, started my own venture, which uh, did not go quite the way that I would have liked in Do goodbye By Us, ultimately moving to Kiwi, which did go the way that I would like, leading their sales efforts globally for four years before, as you mentioned, starting CatapultX, which is what I'm doing today, uh, and thriving.
0: Super awesome that you initially started off working for these major firms, and then pivoted and started your own venture. So right when you left for college, you mentioned that it was finding that glamorous, great job after school that could possibly pay those six figure salaries. But when you first got out in the real work world, did you firmly believe that was gonna like happen right then and there? Or does that not usually happen for people like till five, maybe 10 years on?
1: Well, you have to start with what are you doing, right? When you're in the realm of sales, it is your expectation because everybody dangles that carrot in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right. If you kill it in sales, you're going to make a trillion dollars. You're going to be making more than the CEO. I can't tell you how many times I heard that from sales leaders at <laughs> different organizations. Right. The CEO is going to be like, you know, your best friend because you're going to be bringing in so much money. You know, he'll be showering you with gifts and praise and all this sort of stuff. Clearly they don't say that when you work in ad ops, not that it's less important, just that's not the mentality, right? So, you know, was it my expectation? Of course it was, because everyone told me that that was possible. It takes a tremendous amount of work. It takes a lot of support. It takes a good product. And, you know, I was able to hit some numbers bigger than I expected, much sooner than expected, but I think it had everything to do with how I presented myself, how I put myself out there, the networks that I was able to be a part of more than just my talent. You know, I think if you truly ask me, do I think of myself as a salesperson? I would cringe at the thought, you know, I've led sales teams, I've built sales organizations, I've brought in lots of revenue, but you know, the word client irks me. And I think that's the salesperson mentality. When you think of someone as a client, they're just a number on your spreadsheet. I view everyone that I work with as my partner. I truly care about them. And and if they can accomplish their goals. And when they win, I win. A partner is someone you invite to your wedding. A client is someone that you send a gift to <laughs> once a year, right? So I think that's the mentality that helped me get there. And, you know, that's why sales was so appealing. I got the opportunity to work with these people, be on the front lines, hear their problems, make, you know, whatever solution I had worked for them or not, and eventually got there pretty quick. You know, in terms of your expectations, again, it's Everybody has expectations of making, you know, millions and billions of dollars. And at some point in your life, you realize, you know what, I may not be on that path. So is it about creating a career, something that is fulfilling and long lasting and gives you the flexibility you're looking for? Or if you're trying to be a millionaire, you know, you're going to take a different path. That's Mm -hmm. okay too.
0: And you initially started right out of college and even during college. You mentioned that you were networking every single day, meeting with Mm -hmm. these executives, forming these relationships via LinkedIn, just your alumni network, et cetera. How was that hustle life like being able to do that every single day? And do you think that it definitely paid off?
1: So I I received the moniker at some point in my life as the network king, as opposed to networking. And I I think it has paid off in ways that I couldn't even value, right? Yes, I lived in New York City in a really tiny apartment, as you know, so many of my colleagues did. And going home was the worst thing imaginable. I had no food there. I had nothing interesting there. It was this tiny little space. I took my tiny subway, my cramped subway to get there. I worked in my cramped office. So my objective was to be out meeting people. That's why I was paying the insanely stupid rent that I was paying in New York City, right? Access (laughs) to people things to do, places to go, great food. Why on earth would I want to spend time in my apartment? So very early on, I started going to networking events, sometimes being dragged, sometimes I would see something and think it was pretty interesting and go. And eventually forming a group of friends who were you know, far more senior in the industry than I was, many of them 10, 15, even 20 years older than I was. And I learned an enormous amount by spending time with these people who had been through it, done it, had these great relationships at these various senior levels and moved myself up very quickly. It, again, wasn't that I was necessarily the best in the world at what I did, but because if they needed someone who could fill a role, I was the person they knew. They saw me out, they saw me working, they saw me hustling. And that was kind of step one, is just to be there. Uh, I think there's a Woody Allen line that says 90% of life is showing up. 90% (laughs) of life is showing up, right? So show up. The second thing that I did you know, and, and I wish there were the tools that existed today back when I started doing this, but I started a newsletter called Six Degrees of ZR, and you referenced that, you know, in, in the beginning. And this was an opportunity once a month where I would feature up to four people who are unemployed looking for work and also interview a guest as a way to get people to open up this newsletter. Um, started with about 300 people in 2008 during the financial crisis when everybody was being laid off. And over the five years that I did it, uh, eventually got to five or 6,000 subscribers and, and readers each and every month. Helped about 50 people find jobs over the time I was doing it. But what it did more than anything was make me the connector between people who are looking for work, people who have jobs. Um, and truly an understanding within these organizations of what they needed, what they were looking for, who was a good fit. You know, the more you made connections, the more good karma you created, the more doors I was able, able to open in the interview side. I, I talked to the CMO of Coca-Cola and ESPN, many entrepreneurs, including Mike Lazaro, who you can look up, who sold three companies for over $300 million. Ben Larry, who founded Thrillist, just to name a few. So um, being out there, doing something is always better than nothing. That's how you'll get your name out there.
0: And when you started networking, a lot of people today, especially my age, tend to network not with 15 years plus over their age, but tend to network with their colleagues, with their peers, friends. Do you recommend they kind of come out of their shell and network with older senior executives? Or do you think it's better for them to start off with connecting with entry level workers because they're able to relate from a standpoint because they're living in that same decade and people that are older don't have that digital media savvy experience that we live in today's world
1: i think what you're referring to is dating that that's (laughs) what i hear when you say i want to be you know surrounded (laughs) by people my age you know my generation right um and look there there is truth to that of course and this isn't to be exclusionary of anyone yeah um you should absolutely try to find peers and colleagues uh you know who are in your realm who share your experiences but what took me to the next level was finding people who had already seen these things who had already done these Mm -hmm. things who had built giant networks and could point me in the right direction so i think it's about getting out of your comfort zone and thinking all i need is the people who are like me this is about you know providing value to them too look Mm -hmm. one of the things that they liked keeping me around for was i was at the cutting edge of a lot of things that they were interested in, social media being one of those, right? They wanted to hear my perspective. I was bringing value to them in a way that, you know, maybe they were afraid to ask because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to seem like they were, you know, past their prime or whatever the case may be. So there was definitely a lot of benefit to, you know, going beyond your normal service. (laughs) And
0: now shifting gears, you work for huge major brands that started off, including BuzzFeed and WebMD and Kiwi, mm-hmm. what was your experiences like there working for these major brands to start off? Because initially they weren't major brands, and they grew exponentially.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I I really love being at a startup. That's one of the things that I learned, you know, pretty early on in my career. Even at WebMD, I didn't have a title. It was two thousand employees. It's still the largest company that I had ever worked for, and it it just irked me to be there doing one single task. Now, my wife has always worked at big companies and without that structure, she couldn't thrive. So again, this is not a big company versus small company thing. For me, it was, right? I really found that being able to do business development or marketing or account management was where I thrived. And then I also found out that there's a point where I can't really function in the same way anymore, right? When Kiwi and and BuzzFeed became 100 people and my job and my scope became so much more narrow, um, I realized that that wasn't for me. Now, that's something that you learned in hindsight. When you're under 30, my recommendation to everybody is try as many things as you possibly can. Work in a number of different places. If you job hop all the time, who cares, do it. There's an element of you know, the experience, the networks that you create, the seeing how different people do different things, the, you know, what's good, what's bad. Job hop like crazy until you're 30. Once you're 30, you better know what you're good at, (laughs) right? That's when you really have to start to, you know, plant your flag, build, you know, up from scratch, manage teams, you know, build culture, whatever it is that you have found that you're good at. That's the turning point. I, I got to experience so many different things. I did work in editorial, and ad ops, and business development, and sales, and a bit of marketing, and, and um, you know, from big companies and large companies. And by the time I was thirty and working at Kiwi, um, you know, we built a global organization, uh, grew revenues from zero to you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars a year, um, just by bringing, in my case, my experience to what I was doing there, right? I I had that expertise at that point. So I would say that's the dividing line. I would tell your audience, think differently before 30 than you do after 30.
0: That is really great advice because in college, people might not have the resources to initially try out those internships, whether they're paid or not paid, but in your 20s, you're still kind of curating and developing those relationships personally and professionally. So, and you're kind of at the bottom of your career, so it can only go up from
1: there. The only way up is out often (laughs) for so many people, right? They tend to stick in a place for too long because they think, oh, it'll look bad on my resume if I don't have 17 years of my 12 year career at one place. It's like, oh, I don't think those expectations exist anymore. Right?
0: (laughs) You come from a family of entrepreneurs. Your mom and dad are entrepreneurs. Mm Both of your sisters are also entrepreneurs. Do you think after college, like you were going to be like the CEO or did those like three letters kind of daunt you or did you ever aspire to be on Shark Tank? Like what got those like creative (laughs) muscles like flowing?
1: Um, Forbes, if your question is, do we all have a sickness? The answer is yes. (laughs) Uh, You know, being an entrepreneur is uh, the most gut-wrenching thing that you can imagine. you know, I, an entrepreneur once told me that if you don't feel like you're making a decision that you want to throw up from about once a week, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. And I I think once a week might even be too infrequent. Um, there are definitely decisions you're making on a daily basis where you're like, ah, am I willing to bet my house on that? I might have to. Uh, can I bet my house on that? So I, for me, it was what I've always dreamed of. It's what I always wanted. I wanted what my parents had built and done. And um, you know, it was my expectation that I could do the same. Um, It's probably why it was very difficult for me to work in these large organizations and think less entrepreneurially than at the startups where I got experience wearing so many hats that I ultimately ended up needing. But I, I couldn't have foreseen a successful career without having really done this in the way that I'm currently doing it. And I think for anybody who has known me, who has been around my sphere, I think they would have told you the same, that they knew I would get here. They knew this was always going to be what I I aspired to do, what I wanted to do. Um, You know, sometimes you find the right idea, sometimes you don't. I mentioned, I certainly had some failures in trying to do this previously, you know, thinking that I had what it took only to realize I didn't, Um, but, you know, eventually you will end up where you're supposed to. And I feel like that's exactly what happened.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Timing is key with everything. So tell us more about do good by us. And what were some of the pros and cons from an execution standpoint, structuring that business and starting
1: it? Um, Are you trying to get me to cry on the podcast? Is is that the... (laughs) No, we'll come to a happier
0: point with (laughs) Catapult X?
1: (laughs) Well, well, I'll fight the tears as I talk about. So it started... uh, you know, with my my eldest son uh, in the grocery store in I think 2011, and we were going through the aisles, and we picked up a number of different cereals, and I came across Newman's own, Paul Newman's brand of cereals, and the moniker at the top is very loud and clear. You know, every box of cereal you purchase does good for you and others, and I love that concept, and so I went home, and I tried to find other brands like it, and I couldn't, and I thought this was ridiculous. You know, there are Probably hundreds of brands out there that have a, a, a true purpose, you know, to do well by doing good. And so I built effectively the first aggregator for these types of products. Um, over the two years that I ran it, ultimately full time at one point, uh, built a network of hundreds and hundreds of both nonprofits and for profits where every purchase resulted in some sort of uh, action. Um, that was the key to being part of the marketplace. Every transaction had to be good for you and good for others. So if you were a brand where you had like this special line that was charitable, that wasn't what we were looking for. That journey, you know, taught me a lot about the difference between a business and a startup. And I'll start there, you know, at least dive in on that. There are fundamentals to the way that a business is run. There are certain processes, there are paths, there are tried and true mechanisms, you're not necessarily disrupting anything. You are just taking an established business model, business practices, and you're applying it. I thought I was running a startup. I wasn't. I wasn't changing an industry. I wasn't building a piece of technology that was going to revolutionize X, Y or Z. And so I thought running at a deficit, I thought building a brand, um, operating this marketplace, as I had seen from other startups, was the path to success when I should have been focused on the fundamentals you know bringing in more revenue every day than I was spending that that's a a core business practice of course for a business an established marketplace right I wasn't changing marketplaces I would just had my own specialty I had my own uniqueness to it whereas what I'm doing today at Catapult X is completely revolutionary is venture capital worthy and a startup, right? We are building something that has never existed before. So when it came to um, when it came to do good by us, what I learned very quickly, or not quickly enough, is that the consumer marketplace business had fundamentals that I followed none of it. We ended up pivoting to a business by the end where we could create and sell these, you know, social products um, for brands like NBC and Price Cooper, uh, Equinox gyms, and do so at scale. But there was other challenges. Um, You know, if people were knitting these scarves, which was an example, uh, I believe in Uganda, if I remember correctly, they can't make 70,000 of them. So just all the fundamental principles about building and scaling a business, a marketplace model, I disregarded all of them in in search of this startup. Um, And that's ultimately why it failed. And then some of
0: those things that you learned from like oh, I'm not gonna do this again with my new venture. You definitely took those to Catapult X, correct? And what things did you see in Catapult X that made it the successful brand?
1: Well, certainly persistence. Uh, So Catapult X started as a sports media company. Through my cousin, who is a national broadcaster with ESPN, we started a sports network, bringing sports talk radio onto social channels. Uh, We had hours of live, hosts, you know, answering your questions just as they would in talk radio. And then at night we had acquired the rights to these sports leagues and teams, ultimate Frisbee, arena football, major league eating uh, and ran that programming. We started to attract over 600,000 viewers a day to this live programming across Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Twitch. But the platforms paid us $11 a day on average. Worthless. Right? So, you think, wait, if I had 600,000 viewers on television, I would have a number one show. You're mm-hmm. telling me that I have 600,000 viewers across these social channels and they're worthless. Like, well, how could that be? So, the company was called Phantom, and we developed a product called Catapult, which would allow bars, restaurants, more local brands to be able to sponsor elements of our live broadcasts. It was so successful, we started generating $1,000 per broadcast as opposed to $11 a day. And as I mentioned, we were doing multiple broadcasts per day. So the learning became pretty clear to us. Wait a minute, this sports media company isn't interesting. This product catapult is. It enabled creators of video content across multiple channels to monetize their video content in a way that didn't require interruptive advertising that everybody hates, the need for $250,000 video assets that nobody could afford, and it could work just the same, whether it was on the web, or CTV, or social. Ultimately, we started to understand the capabilities of artificial intelligence and how we could identify objects, people, moments within a video and make that available to advertisers in a way that was future-proof. So my point in telling this story beyond maybe some of the obvious is I started off doing something entirely different, a sports media company, but well, we listened, we pivoted, we developed technology that was disruptive. And all of a sudden, all the doors started to unlock for us. Mm-hmm. So it was a matter of persistence, being open to the market, asking lots of good questions and using that network that I established, right? These are now people who have grown into these very big roles. And when they took one look at what we were doing, thought, well, wait, wait, can you just do it like this because if you could do it like that all of this stuff is possible sure we can do it like that and you know so there is no straight path i didn't have this idea you know at the there is no straight path stick with it you
0: initially said that you used all these social media platforms like twitch twitter instagram mm-hmm. that you try to think oh i'm gonna monetize in the end you made 11 bucks that was a good media. day by the way <laughs> oh wow Yeah. Uh, Today, a lot of people use social media, especially TikTok is very revolutionary today with just making tons of money from influencers, brand deals. Is there kind of one social media app that your team has leaned to in particular that generated these followers, led to your brand more quickly? And if so, what is that app?
1: Do you want the most boring answer?
0: Sure, why not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the answer is LinkedIn. Okay. If you're looking to establish business relationships, it is incredibly valuable. They just began offering their creator tools, which allows you to build newsletters, which I've been using. And I've grown my following pretty significantly since I started using it at just the beginning of the year. I mean, really just since the beginning of the year, adding almost 10% to my followers, um, you know, in, in 20 days. And those numbers are now accelerating as more and more people become subscribed. I am putting together a newsletter once a week. Um, it's called the AI in Advertising Newsletter. Um, so it goes out every Sunday. And by you know establishing a expertise, a presence by using those career tools um, for my business, I've found that it has been the most useful platform. Um, if I were running more of a consumer business, TikTok makes a million percent, right? Mm-hmm. But it is extremely hard from a brand perspective to build a following in such a way, right? That's why influencers are so important using other people's, you know, organic audiences to try to influence, uh, you know, their followers into your products. If you as a brand want to establish yourself, you know, there's, there's still the tried and trues, you know, Facebook and Instagram, um, YouTube, you got to pick one and you got to really do it well and everything else that you can't. Work with an influencer.
0: To wrap things up, your kids have made such a pivotal impact on your personal and professional life. You said that this was one of your greatest successes. Do you hope someday that your kids become entrepreneurial like yourself and have that DNA ingrained all the way from your parents
1: and my grandparents and my <laughs> great grandparents before wow. that? Um, anybody who saw uh, Men in Black will remember Rosenberg Jewelers in Brooklyn, uh, which was my great grandfather. So. Um, of course, I don't want to force that on them. And, you know, my parents always used to say, you know, our biggest uh, fault was that we didn't show you how hard it was to be an entrepreneur. We came home, we made sure to have a smile on our faces and show you everything was okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, for my dad who was in finance, you know, every time the market was down 30 points, not even 300 points, just 30 points, he'd wear it on his face, you know, for a week. (laughs) So if if that's what they want to be, Yeah, it would make me extremely happy if it's not what they want to be. You know, I'll support them and whatever. But, you know, I see it now, Um, you know, certainly for all three of them, uh, I I can see it burgeoning in one way, shape or form. I I know that they've got what it takes. I'm going to encourage it at every step that I can. But, um, you know, would I be disappointed if they didn't? Of course not. Do I hope that they do? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) That's so great to hear and wishing them great success in the future. Any last tips that you'd like to share with college students? Any resources you would recommend? You also spoke at Harvard Innovation Lab, and that resource is on YouTube. Any last tips or?
1: Yeah, so you know my my core philosophy has been to take small steps every day, and mm-hmm. I think that if everybody thinks in those terms, that they will get to their end goal much faster. I think a lot of people take off thing, uh, you know bite off more than they can chew you know your point earlier in this conversation they want to be CEO so they start being a CEO today it's like whoa right (laughs) take a beat understand that there are a lot of steps to becoming a CEO the CEO didn't just you know even if they were born into it they weren't literally born into it so you know if you take these small steps every day you give yourself manageable goals you achieve them you look for new goals you look for new ways to learn and grow and You know, read a book, talk to somebody new, try to understand something different, take on a new job as I talked about before you're 30. The more you experience, the better off you will be. And don't try to be, you know, the world's richest person at 22. There's only like three of those, right? The odds that it's gonna be one of us is pretty slim. Not that it can't happen eventually, but um, if you Mm -hmm. test and learn, right? Taking small steps and and iterating every single day, uh, you will get there faster that would be my advice.
0: You gave such great wisdom. Thank you, Zach, for being on the podcast. Check out Catapult X for their newest endeavors within the sports space and wishing you all great success, both personally and professionally with your family.
1: Thanks so much, Forbes. Pleasure being here. I hope everyone gets something out of it. Please feel free to contact me with any questions or if there's ever a way I can help.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Media Industry Guru podcast. Check out the Instagram at Media Industry Guru for all the details on the latest and coolest, I mean coolest, upcoming episodes that you will here, email at media industry guru podcast at gmail.com for any other interviews that you would like to hear or if you would like to be on the air and give a little promo or talk about yourself or just even chat with me because you know i'm i'm doing this i'm invested in this and tune in weekly 6 p.m pacific 9 p.m eastern on tuesdays on the anchor app spotify stitcher pocketcast breaker and many more streaming platforms Thanks again for all of the support, and peace out, and let's rock and roll.